0: I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. Today, we reflect on the deadly storming of the Capitol one year later. Five people died during or soon after the attack. About 140 members of law enforcement were injured at the Capitol, and so far, more than 700 people have been arrested in connection to the riot. In a few moments, we'll learn about the people from Illinois who have been charged for participating in the insurrection. But joining us now is a journalist who was on the ground that day. Margaret Barthel is a reporter with WAMU in Washington, D.C., and my former colleague. So, Margaret, I know that you and uh, other reporters at WAMU, you've spent the last few days kind of circling back with Washingtonians who, who felt the effects of this attack on their hometown differently than the rest of us in other parts of the country. So as we mark one year later, what's in your mind right now?
1: Yeah, um, this is something that I heard in uh, the interviews that I did for um, the reporting that you're referencing and something that I'm also feeling personally as someone who is an eyewitness. I think one of the most disturbing and difficult things of the past year has been watching this event that was really a collective trauma become a political football instead. I think it kind of feels like it's gotten wrapped up in bickering and political tribalism and it's easier now to lose sight of the pain of what people who were there, who live in D.C., who you know, experienced this in their hometown, um, were feeling that day and have continued to grapple with since. Um, So that was really, I think, you know, the main thrust of what we heard from the people that we interviewed.
0: So take us back to that day, to the Capitol riot. When did you first hear about it and how quickly did you actually make your way over?
1: Yeah, so um, we knew that there would be a big demonstration. Of course, everyone knew that there was going to be this rally at the White House and that it seemed like they were likely to to make their way to the Capitol um, to sort of continue the rally. Um, so our newsroom had prepared. We had four reporters, who, uh, myself included, who were you know kind of um, staffed for different times that day. So I was on the later shift. I wasn't at the rally at the White House, two of my colleagues were there, and uh, then my reporting partner and I went over to the Capitol around 2.30 or 3, so um, shortly after um, the insurrectionists actually breached the building itself. Um, And then we were there until um, about 9 p.m. that night, so well after curfew and and when most of the people had dispersed.
0: And so between 2.30ish and 9, what did you see?
1: Yeah. um, There's a lot of things that that stick with me from that day, of course. I don't think I'll ever forget the moment that I saw the Capitol for the first time on the 6th. I was walking up to the east side. It was just a really shocking moment seeing the steps just jammed with um, Trump supporters and a big part of the Stone Plaza kind of below just swarming with people, um, you know, screaming, and it was really loud. <laughs> um, and I recently interviewed actually one of the leaders of the D.C. National Guard who was there that day, and mm-hmm. he said um, he had a similar experience. He described it as unbelief. <laughs> um to describe that first visual. And then he talked about, you know, kind of having that sort of emotional moment and, and then putting his head down and getting to work. And, and that was definitely my experience as well. Um, my reporting partner and I kind of circled the Capitol a couple of times and, um, you know, took some video and photos and uh, we're just kind of trying to get a lay of the land. Another striking thing that we saw in that kind of initial <laughs> review of what was going on at the scene was, Um, You know, coming around the West Front, um, the presidential inauguration scaffolding had already been put up, of course. And so, you know, coming around that corner and just seeing it just jammed, it felt like it was like a skyscraper, you know, overhead of um, all of these, you know, very angry and, you know, people who really felt like they meant violence. And of course they did. Yeah. So, yeah, that will always stick with me as well.
0: It sounds like it made a lot of sense for you to be out there in pairs, too, reporting.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that was definitely um, a comfort to have someone else who was, you know, we could be, you know, a little bit more situationally aware uh, together.
0: What would you say the aftermath has felt like in the D.C. area throughout this year?
1: Yeah, I mean, as I said at the top, I think it can be easy to forget that D.C. is a city where people live, um, as well as this kind of place with enormous national symbolism. Um, and I think that people felt like their safety was violated. And so in the immediate aftermath of the event, people were really fearful that there would be more violence around the inauguration, of course, which is a couple weeks away. Um, so those next couple of weeks really did, I think, feel sort of like a fever dream in D.C., um, you know, I had a bulletproof vest in my living room. Suddenly, D.C. residents were living with, you know, 25,000 National Guard troops, you know, with security checkpoints all over the city. Um, It was really surreal. Um, And even after the inauguration happened safely, um, you know, the National Guard presence didn't fully depart until May. And the big fence around the Capitol that was, you know, blocking residents from using the Capitol grounds, which is, you know, a place that, Um, A lot of people, you know, teach their kids how to ride bikes and they go on walks and they go on runs there and and so forth, Um, do all those normal things. That access was blocked until July. Um, So it took a long time for even the physical reminders of what had happened to leave the city.
0: Well, I'm glad you brought up police presence and Let's remember there are a number of law enforcement agencies that operate in Washington. But I remember, Margaret, before the insurrection, you were one of the lead reporters for WAMU that was covering all the racial justice protests in DC. That was in sort of summer and fall of 2020. How would you compare those experiences?
1: Yeah, I mean certainly I have been thinking a lot about that and you know I think the central thing for me is that um you know the police reaction to um the two groups of people was just so it it felt really quite radically different um you know we would see routinely in some of the the larger nights of of racial justice protests in um you know summer and fall 2020 dozens or even hundreds of people arrested. And, you know, we just didn't see that at the Capitol Um, on the 6th. I think that um, the Capitol Police the next day reported that they had arrested 14 people. You know, and I know that police leaders have said um, in some cases that the threat was so dire that they were focused on securing the building and not on making arrests. And Mm -hmm. of course, You know, we know that the FBI and um, federal law enforcement since then, you know, have arrested, you know, hundreds of people who were involved in the insurrection. But at the time, just watching what happened and, you know, the degree of violence that the rioters you know, were uh, using towards the police um, in comparison with the racial justice protesters. The response, the scale of the response just felt really kind of out of proportion.
0: Yeah, was a stark contrast. So what are you going to be paying attention to then as this new year unfolds?
1: Yeah, on a, a local level, you know, we are, of course, interested in what the continuing healing process looks like for um, people in D.C. Um, you know, how do we move forward and heal but not forget what happens. And also, of course, the scope and scale of the threat from, you know, right-wing extremists um, does still feel very real in the city. You know, we've had a couple of incidents that we've Um, You know, seen over the past year where somebody with, you know, right wing and political affiliations, there have been bomb bomb threats on Capitol Hill and and so forth. And I know that the scale of threats that the Capitol Police has been dealing with with respect to lawmakers Mm -hmm. has been really heightened. You know, I think that it's kind of that balance of, um, you know, moving forward and coming together as a community and, and also being realistic about, you know, what could still happen in the future.
0: Lots to pay attention to a a year later. That's Margaret Barthel, Northern Virginia reporter in the WAMU newsroom. Thank you, Margaret. Thank you. Twenty Illinois residents are tied to the January 6th insurrection and face federal charges in the breach of the Capitol. Here to tell us more about the charges and how the accused participated in the riot is John Seidel, federal courts reporter for the Chicago Sun-Times. Hi, John. Thanks for joining us.
2: Happy to be here. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Prosecutors have said that it's likely that this is the largest criminal investigation in history. What does that mean?
2: You know, I think it's all borne out in the numbers. Obviously, the FBI and federal government, there have been several massive, complex investigations in its history. But, I, you know, you, you mentioned one of the stats, I think, uh, early on, more than 700 people arrested so far but beyond that, there are there are 140 prosecutors involved, more than 5,000 subpoenas and search warrants that have gone out, um, 2,000 devices seized, 20,000 hours of footage gone through. You know, the attorney general mentioned some of those numbers yesterday. And when you just really think about the massive size, the number of people who are outside and inside that building, all of the devices gathering data and all of the cameras that were running mm-hmm. uh, that investigators have to go through. There's just so much to sift through to catalog uh, all of those videos and images that have multiple defendants or potential defendants in those images. They need to be shared as prosecutors as prosecutions move forward with defense attorneys. There's just a massive amount of work uh, to dig through just really the surface of what happened that day, let alone what was behind it.
0: I see. Well, what kinds of charges are we talking about here? What are people facing?
2: Sure. So, so among the 20 that we've seen charged so far in Illinois, you know, it has to be said that most of them are people facing misdemeanor charges for have having wrongly entered the Capitol that day. You know, one case comes to mind of two downstate men who walked through the doors about an hour after they had been breached, walked around for I think it was about 20 minutes, and left. They they've actually uh, they pleaded guilty. They were sentenced to two years probation. They're all done. Uh, on the other end of the spectrum, just late last month, you have uh, a man from Aurora who prosecutors say is an admitted member of the Proud Boys group, mm-hmm. who faces probably the most serious charges so far, in that he faces a maximum term of 20 years. Uh, they say he was at the outside the Capitol wearing riot gear and uh, was hitting officers with a flagpole. I, I think there were like one or two hits to the head of officers or attempted hits to the officers of the flagpole. You're you're referring to James Robert Elliott of Aurora, Correct, correct? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So so we really have a range. But the majority of them are misdemeanor cases where people were they went into the building and they weren't supposed to be there. But but as prosecutors point out, you know, that was that was crucial to what happened to the overwhelming of law enforcement that day. Every person who made the decision to go into that building helped overwhelm law enforcement.
0: Tell us about Bradley Rikstalis, a Schaumburg CEO. Uh, He was the first one in in Illinois to be charged for his role in the insurrection and the first to plead guilty. Give us the details on his case.
2: Yeah, Mr. Rikstalis was really the first uh, in every checkpoint in in his case. Uh, So he was actually, I think, one of the the relatively few arrested that day at the Capitol by by Capitol Police. Uh, Federal charges quickly followed, and, and all we initially knew was, that he was in a crowd that refused to leave. Uh, Later, when he pleaded guilty, uh, it came out that he uh, actually followed officers who had retreated and um, threw a chair in their general direction, although I think it's pretty much agreed that no officer was in danger of being hit by the chair. Uh, He also, I think, uh, needed to be restrained and arrested by two or three officers, despite being asked to leave the building. So, again, charges against Mr. Eckstallis came down. You know, he was charged federally the day after the riot. Yeah. And as you know, he was a CEO of I believe it was a firm in Schaumburg uh, named Congencia. He was quickly fired by the board. He lost his job right in the wake of that. He's talked about how that was a company that he loved and that he helped launch. And, mm-hmm. and now he's no longer part of that. And he suffered those consequences. Uh, he was also sentenced to 30 days in jail. Uh, for his role in the riot. And he was just ordered this week by a judge uh, to report to a prison facility in Michigan on February 1st. So uh, next month, we will, if that goes forward, that'll be the first person from Illinois to be imprisoned uh, for his role in the riot.
0: There was also a Chicago police officer in the mix. Uh, He was charged in connection with the riot as well, uh, Carl Cheswick. Remind listeners what he was charged with.
2: Sure. So uh, Carl Cheswick, uh, again, was charged with misdemeanors, uh, some of the typical ones that we've seen, knowingly entering or remaining in any restricted building or grounds entry and disorderly conduct. The complaint against uh, Officer Cheswick alleges that he traveled to Washington, D.C., and again, he was one of those who just wandered in and spent, I think it was roughly, give or take, an hour within the building. Most notably, he was, uh, uh, it's alleged he took a selfie in Senator Merkley's office.
0: And, and wore a uh, CPD yeah. hoodie right and
2: wore a cpd hoodie yes he he was uh, uh, proudly displaying his affiliation with the chicago police department that day he also traded several text messages that were included in the complaint he told uh, an associate of his he was going there to save the nation Hmm. um so he was put on desk duty Uh, i believe he's uh inactive and uh, the charges against him are still pending.
0: so john what do you think we can learn about our region from these cases
2: It's a great question. It's one that I've been trying to think about over the course of 2021, and I know on the national level, people have been trying to figure that out, too. And and I have to say, it's, it's hard to really, you know say something about our region based on these 20 individuals. Only a few of them are are charged with any kind of violence. I will say I was looking through a chart yesterday of the number of defendants per state uh, based on population, and I checked to see where Illinois fell, and, you know, we're <laughs> we're right there in the middle, mm, okay. it seems. That, you know, our demographics seem to really reflect – uh, what we see nationwide. We see largely misdemeanors, largely male, one police officer, one member of the Proud Boys. Uh, I think that all holds up if you hold it up against the national statistics. So if anything, I'd say that, you know, we're not, we're not immune from this. We were, we were there, we were part of it. We didn't have a lesser role. We didn't have a greater role. Yeah. But Illinois was definitely represented.
0: You expecting to see more people charged and, and sentenced this year?
2: Certainly, yeah. I mean, we have multiple sentencings pending. I, I think that we have four more who have pleaded guilty who have yet to be sentenced. And, you know, the attorney general's comments yesterday, I think, really made clear this seems to be more the beginning. I think what, these 700 arrests so far, more than anything, just appear to be laying the groundwork for whatever's coming next.
0: That's John Seidel, federal courts reporter for the Chicago Sun-Times. Thanks for making the time to talk with us, John.
2: Thanks so much. Take care.
0: that's it for today's Reset. For more Reset interviews, subscribe to this podcast. And please give us a rating. It really helps other listeners find us. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks for listening. We'll meet again soon.
1: Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more.